Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Vrai, and with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hello. And this week, we are joined by a very special guest. It's been a minute since we had one of those. Would you like to introduce yourself, very special guest? Thank you very much, Vrai. Uh, my name is Lynette. I am the former creator of the... Uh, the complete V.C. Andrews vlogorama, where I discover the wild, wonderful world of V.C. Andrews. I was a huge fan of that blog back in the day. I mean, I would check it at least weekly just for updates. So because you're a really funny person who reads books like that, I had been hoping for ages that I could get you on here to talk about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm glad because I know all sorts of good trash other than VC Andrews. <laughs> yes. We did initially talk, talk back and forth at one point about, can, can we make her watch the Audrina movie? Did we, I mean, we already talked about the book. Is that double dipping? Is this a good excuse? <laughs> I can't believe they made an Audrina movie. So much of that book is about concealing stuff from the readers. I can't even fathom how that could execute. <laughs> You could be answering these questions in real time, maybe another day. <laughs> oh, because you brought us an entirely different gift that I am so bad, so incredibly glad that you did. Yeah, and as I was discussing with Dorothy, I, I didn't want to do VC Andrews because I figured, you know, that was my thing. And then I realized I just gave you a movie about a woman who hides her son and feeds it, slips some food under the door. <laughs> <laughs> There's a motif. <laughs> So yeah, we watched uh, the 1974 made-for-TV film, Bad Ronald, starring Scott Jacoby. And as soon as I saw Scott Jacoby pop up, let alone Dabney Coleman's name, I knew I was in for a good time. And Kim Hunter. Yes. Stella herself is in this movie, which explains why she's doing the most. <laughs> really? Stella, not Zira? The, the hot ape. <laughs> A weird thing to say. <laughs> it got weirder in the remakes. I want to paint a picture for the children at home because Bad Ronald is part of this very specific movement from the 1970s called the made-for-TV movie, which I feel like people have heard the word of for, but they didn't really know what it was. These are not Netflix originals. No. Although, ABC movie of the week was this thing that came up because abc was lagging behind the other two big networks and also there were three kids three whole networks and the other two um nbc and cbs had all of the the fancy news and stuff and meanwhile the movie theaters didn't really respect tv at a media as a medium as if you were an actor tv is where you went because you failed out of the theater and out of film but at this, so that meant both that there was this open market where you could get people who couldn't necessarily afford to go to the movies, but also you could make stuff on the cheap because nobody respected TV. So they put together like this $350,000 budget per film and they would put out these 90 minute movies and show them every week to people and made extremely strong memories. Um, a I, the one that people talk about a lot is Don't Be Afraid of the Dark as one of those, holy shit, do you remember this thing? Because people would turn on these movies and catch like one scene and it would haunt them for the rest of their days. What the hell was that movie about? 
<laughs> that was the movie about the uh, about the tiny. It, it was Puppet Master knockoff about the the small little monster people terrorizing a woman. I think that makes Puppet Master the knockoff. Oh shit! Yeah, because that was nineteen seventy three. This movie has a reputation. Everybody remembers the scene, and we'll get to the scene. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like i went through and i checked out some other reviews of this and this one scene is seared into everybody's memory it's the one thing they remember <laughs> it, it this sticks in people's minds so bad that when when i was just googling around about it i found out there's a band named after it yeah and there's a french remake <laughs> which i would watch and and part of the reason I chose this is because it, on the it's basically it's a really harmless movie. There's not even any gore in this at all. And you go into it and it's like this this YA thriller. And then you go back and read the source material and oh lord, <laughs> it is <laughs> it is dark and it's awful and Ronald is basically like this red-pilled redditor. <laughs> I am dead. Well, I mean, I kind of sensed that lurking underneath thematically because he's the product of divorce, so he hasn't been properly um, socialized and sexualized by a dominant male figure in his life. <laughs> I kind of sensed that lurking. You could kind of feel the film wanting to go there, and then, of course, standards and practices wouldn't let them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> S&P did something good for once, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely want you to tell us all about the book once we once we tell the people what the uh, sanitized version is like. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> but like I said, I was so excited to see Scott Jacoby because I was like, I know him. I love the little girl who lives down the lane. And at some point I need to watch that certain summer. <laughs> the gay Martin Sheen movie. <laughs> quite the set of words yeah he did a lot of these sort of issues films and and bad child films in the 70s mm -hmm. um the little girl who lives down the lane has jodie foster as a murder child and martin sheen <laughs> and later on i think he was dorothy Spornak's son in golden girls wasn't he i believe he was so. yeah <laughs> for a whole three episode arc it was a thing <laughs> but ma i want to be a musician <laughs> So, the, like you said, this is this is not not a Flowers in the Attic movie, but it's so much more, and it has and it, it so clearly spawned a bunch of other movies that people will have seen that I think we should point out. The director did another movie uh, called Crawl Space, which is basically the same premise with more gore. <laughs> so maybe I'm not the only one with a problem here. <laughs> And I mean, this is kind of just a less amazing version of Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs, which or, is a very good pe movie people should watch. Or The Boy. Oh, oh my god. Look me in the face and tell me that The Boy is not a remake of this film. That I cannot do. So we begin in the 70s with Ronald, who is a nice boy. He's, no, he's on not. He's not. But like he's such a nice young man who makes dinner for his mother and she's sickly and he's going to go to be school to become a doctor so that he can cure her one day. And she's trying to guilt him not to leave because, you know, overbearing mothers. Am I right? He's symbolically emasculated by the act of food preparation, of course. Do you see? 
I was keeping track of the food in this, especially because it's such a big thing in the book. And he's eating throughout the movie. He's his mom is trying to figure out how he's she's going to get him out of a murder charge, and he's sitting here gnawing an apple. It's it's kind of amazing. It it almost makes me feel like they just couldn't think of anything for him to do with his hands, so they just kept handing him things to have in the scene. <laughs> Here, do this. It's it's business for you. So, I I hear you thinking. But if he's such a nice boy, how could he? How could there be a murder charge happening? Why is he bad, Ronald? Well, it's because you see, he happened. Well, first he goes to school and he's very unpopular. And then he go he tries to hang out with the cool kids and the pretties. They tell him to go away from their pool party because they're shallow. Clear like a pool. Well, in the pools, the 70s was a status symbol, so that's how you know you made it. And these kids have some comebacks. I was impressed. It's like, don't worry about the water, Ronald. Some people even bathe in it. I don't know about bathing, but he could at least do with some hairstyling. Because he looks like a very early career <laughs> having a vaudeville routine. But he's, he's baby Scott Jacoby. He's got the big brown eyes and the big dark hair. His hair is so big. <laughs> they they took what I assume was his average haircut and was like, no, no, talk to us in three months. And it's so weird that there are so many rejoinders in that scene because the actual murder that, the, or the insult that kicks off the actual murder is weird. You're weird. You're weird. You're weird. So is your mom. <laughs> and for that, I must do a murder. This far and no further, small blonde moppet. <laughs> Cindy Brady must pay. <laughs> now, Cindy, her sister, I thought. Or was she Cindy? I don't know. There were. It was Carol. Many blonde girls. Yeah. Carol. That's right. There, there's so many blonde girls in this movie. Just, just a lot of waifish young blonde girls representing the frail. Fe white femininity of American heartland that we need to protect <laughs> from the threat of our own neighborhoods. <laughs> God, all of this stuff with Ronald and his mother, I was just thinking, yep, this is the stuff that Chris Palahniuk, or that Chris, God, that Chuck Palahniuk was watching before he, uh, he wrote Fight Club. This is the <laughs> stuff that was just percolating in there. <laughs> Timeline checks out. Mm-hmm. And because he is such a mama's boy, he then immediately goes home and is like, Mama fucked up. Yeah, but he doesn't go home. He doesn't just like leave her lying on the pavement next to her bike where he could reasonably claim that she like accidentally conked her head. No, he buries the corpse. He goes out and finds a shovel. <laughs> there was not a convenient. He had. There was premeditation in this. <laughs> Now, I've never accidentally killed anyone, as far as you know, but I don't think. Yeah, there's definitely been no murders involved with our show. No, Plausible deniability, yes. But, like, the, the, the degree to which you have to go from this paved street where she hits her head to, I buried her in a yard with a shovel that I found in a shallow grave and got home before dark, by the looks of it. Impressive. With only a torn sleeve to show for it. But I do think it's cool how his mom immediately goes from zero to 10,000 and concludes that obviously he's too stupid to have properly hidden the body. So the police will catch you. 
I love it. She has no concern that there's a dead girl in this neighborhood now. No. She just, what about your medical career, Ronald? She also decides she's going to just hide him. And she tells him, we'll just hide you until this all blows over. Except that she is definitely not hiding him until this blows over. No. <laughs> oh, you have the feeling that she has just been waiting for this moment. Yeah, I, I'm 100% certain that when the cops come around looking to see where Ronald was when this girl whose body was found in a shallow grave, when she was murdered, I am 100% certain it's because somebody called in an anonymous tip and said, hey, Ronald did it and there's a body over there. The timeline makes no sense. <laughs> My notes here actually say, oh, the 70s when people believed that murdering a young girl would keep a white guy out of med school. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yep. He's got a bright future ahead of him. It would be a shame to tarnish that. But I don't know that he would have done that well in med school because you see, folks, he also has an unhealthy obsession with fantasy art. This this bro wants to be the next Frazetta. (laughs) There's not enough butts for him to be the next Frazetta. True. He's weak and will not survive the winter. And this is something that I love because Frank, uh, excuse me, Jack Vance, the guy who wrote the the book, was a prolific sci-fi fantasy writer. And I think he was actually making fun of himself because Ronald isn't getting any writing done. He's like, oh, well, I have to map out the royal family first and I have to draw the official state portraits and I have to, I have to draw this map of Atrantia before I could even write one word. Okay, this is an insult. You will not <laughs> Do you feel seen? Because I feel seen. I mean, kudos to the prop department then for kind of conveying that with his extremely shitty art. <laughs> like this extremely shitty seventh grader art. I like that it's terrible seventh grader art until they need to draw a face in and then they get the one guy on set who can actually draw to sketch a face in that it kind of resembles the people that he's venting his spleen about. He's honing his craft. Also, even if... I love that you can also totally see the precursor to satanic panic in here. It was the fantasy. It made him lose... He would have been fine if he weren't for those darn fantasy novels. Lost touch with reality. So yeah, um, they hit upon the brilliant plan to hide his ass. (laughs) Yeah, he, he gets the tool case that morning. And by <laughs> evening, he is tricking out his secret lair. <laughs> it's very impressive, frankly. I love that they wallpaper over the bathroom door to hide it, to give him a secret lair that has a bathroom. But they don't, like, do anything about it. They don't, like, put any plywood there or anything. So I'm just picturing this thin sheet of wallpaper sort of blowing and billowing with every pressure change in the house well she did say they had extra plasterboard so there's just a sheet of plasterboard over there but yeah so they wallpaper over the bathroom door and then create a secret tunnel into there through the pantry <laughs> and an elaborate knocking system because you gotta and then when we started talking to one another brian and i did about is this anne frank exploitation like got- is that what they're trying to evoke because I was also wondering if this counted as hag exploitation, because you have the overbearing mother who I was fully convinced was going to start doing murders. I was wrong, but <laughs> that was the vibe. 
But yeah, there is kind of that fetishistic framing of being trapped in a small space while people outside are looking for you. And it's like, ooh. I think it appeals to something. It's like, it's like a kid in the secret clubhouse. In my house growing up, my closet wall backed up against the attic and I always desperately wanted to just cut through and make that my secret lair. <laughs> well, yeah, who didn't want a secret door leading into a secret room? <laughs> but oh no, it's less than fun now. It, this seems to last for all of one week. I feel like that this has to be the movie condensing some timelines because it seems like he goes in there, the next day the cops show up, and then the day after that, mom says she has to go to the hospital for an emergency surgery, but she'll be totally fine. For the ominous stomach clutch of doom. She's one step away from having a side ponytail. But one day, ten years from now, Ronald will graduate from medical school. And he... Yeah, after she has, you know, provided a helpful note about how I totally did a murder and she'll now go off and, and be the Hulk. Wandering from town to town. I Also, his mom has this line about, oh, I'm putting you in the bathroom so you can live in cleanliness and decency. That is your concern, lady. That's your concern right now. Also, there doesn't seem to be a shower in there. Yeah, he's washing in the sink. That's not... But, but he's doing his exercises and reading his chemistry homework. And, and again, this movie's problem with timeline really does not help its sense of the gravity of the situation because then it seems like, well, she was gone and she didn't come back from her surgery after the week that she promised. Uh, and now we're selling the house. Immediately. The and next day, the 70s were wild. And meanwhile, Mrs. Schumacher keeps... This is a character who has no lines in the most amazing costume ever, who just keeps, her whole job is to pop her head up over the doorframe and look around occasionally. She somehow can sense whatever Ronald's not hiding so that he immediately has to duck behind a pillar. <laughs> She's got this amazing hat and gum I love it. And my notes here just read, howdy. So I'm assuming that's a reference to the hat. Uh, and she's, uh, she's this... She's Linda Watkins, who had a 40-year Hollywood career, and back in the day, she was a dish. And this was her last role. <laughs> well, because it was so startling. This random neighbor who just keeps popping her head up to try and raise stakes. And she knows that this is a nothing role, like her eyes. Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> and she's not, like, glancing over sidelong. She's going right up and pressing her nose to the window. Because those nosy hags. Truly, the neighborhood watch is the only thing that stands between suburbia and total anarchy. And I mean, there's worse things. That's true. There are a lot of cops in this movie. <laughs> they don't do anything either. Nope. Ronald finds out that his mom is dead because they come in to sell the house, which is, oof. I mean, that would be quite an experience. Uh-huh. Like, on the one hand, I don't know what he thought was going to happen with this whole plan. That he was going to get to leave this house someday, definitely for sure. But yeah, by the way, my mom, your mom went to the store for cigarettes and is never coming back. Funny, that's what Daddy did. Um, <laughs> oh, but before before the new family moves in, he goes around and he uses his toolkit to make peepholes so he can spy on the new people. He's got a plan. Oh yeah, it's a whole Home Alone type situation. He's got tunnels. Can go down into the basement and get around through the backyard. The house buying sequence is kind of one of my favorite parts of the whole movie because it's really playing with that whole white family buys a house that's clearly haunted thing. 
this obviously cursed and haunted space you've bought. That's such a great price. <laughs> also, I kept getting thrown off because the realtor is Piglet. It is the voice yes. of Piglet. It was uh... not just Piglet, also the the murder ghost who was Jack the Ripper from yes. Star Trek. I was sitting there going, is that him? Oh my god! There is just so much 70s happening in this movie. Also, Murder Ghost 2 was Jack the Ripper is a real episode of Star Trek. Please look it up at your leisure. It's a four bed- Why does this four bedroom, one bathroom house only have one bathroom? That just doesn't make sense. That seems insufficient. And and the answer is basically that Victorians didn't shit. <laughs> I, I guess they just vanished it out of their robes. <laughs> But look, a clawfoot tub. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you move into a house and you think the worst problem you have is that you've got three teenagers in one bathroom. Oh boy. <laughs> and the dad is Dabney Coleman. So we know he won't be useful for anything because he's too busy tormenting the women who work in his office and then being taken captive. I'm going to pretend that's the other half of the plot. Nine to Five is a good movie. <laughs> Dolly Parton is real. <laughs> I mean, I feel like she would have dealt with this. Mm-hmm. Much more quickly, as opposed to our three blonde waifish teenagers. And the one boyfriend. That's true. I can't believe that only one of these girls went on to have... Well, no, she flirted with having a Scream Queen career, and then it just seemed to kind of fizzle out because she was in Slumber Party Massacre. But only uh, the one. But only the first one. Not feminist masterpiece, Slumber Party Massacre 2. <laughs> I apologize for how thick the references are on this episode, guys, but it really kind of invites them because you can see sort of a lot of the influence it had later on. Going back to that idea of TV is the place where careers started or went to die, there is just so much mishmash of intertextuality sort of implicit under the surface of this movie that's at least half the fun. There was no prestige TV then. No, not at all. Hell, there weren't even really... Like, this was the closest to uh, to ongoing drama TV, more or less. I mean, that's in soaps. Mm-hmm. Which were not prestige, but... Most TV, was, aside of the occasional very special episode, most TV in this era was serialized. And this does have the or vibe not serialized, of... episodic. This does have the vibe of the very special hanging over it. Boy, does it. This is our issues movie. I am hard-pressed to figure out what kind of lesson the youth of 1974 was supposed to take from this. <laughs> Don't move into houses. <laughs> Learned. <laughs> Build a yurt. <laughs> if you accidentally kill somebody, turn yourself in. Don't go around burying the body. Don't be a child of divorce. <laughs> You know, don't be born at all. Life's too dangerous. Stay in the bathroom. <laughs> so Ronald becomes obsessed with one of the blonde teenagers. Naturally. Obviously, yeah. because he was talking about a beautiful princess early on in the movie. So the fixating has begun in earnest. There are various sequences of the, the youngest Babs being convinced that something creepy is going on in the house and her sisters make fun of her and Ronald walking around the house being a creep. And also entirely too many upskirt shots of her. Don't care for it. But it is interesting. Again, I like the play with the idea that that this is a haunted house movie, but from the perspective of the ghost who's not a ghost at all. 
Yeah, considering when this is made, that's pretty inge- like pretty original. Yeah, I, I really like that that sort of twist on the formula. Hmm. Because if it were filmed from their perspective, it would be a very straightforward movie. One of the other sisters is dating Dwayne, who is the older brother of Carol, the girl Ronald killed. And for some reason, he doesn't like mention this until he's over there eating dinner at their dinner table. Yeah, he's like, I'd never thought I'd be eating dinner in this house. And they all look at him. And then he has to drop that conversational bomb. Oh, yeah, murderer. He decided he would fail the boyfriend test as hard as humanly possible. No, no, she seems to like him afterwards. It's He likes me enough to come over here even though. This is a murder house. It's It's extremely the virgin and the Chad, but like, he seems fine. He's a jock. He's a nondescript jock who is sad about his sister being dead. And his reactions are fairly reasonable given the situation. The absurd situation. Right, given that a year doesn't seem to have passed as far as the movie has conveyed to us. It hasn't been that long. (laughs) So of course Ronald's fantasies are getting worse and worse. So now he not only has a princess, but he has an evil villain that he he can slay to set things aright. I love the way that they fucked up this house at from or the, the way that they clearly did sequential student shooting. I can talk today. I love the fact that it, it starts with this clean butcher paper that we're putting over the walls so that we're not fucking it up with this paint we're using and that the act we're actually having the actor draw in real time. And then by the end, it's like, eh, fuck it. This is our last day of shooting in here. Start dry, get the interns to draw on the walls. I love the wall of food drawings, actually. I think those are a really nice touch because part of the reason that the house seems haunted is he's been creeping out at night to just steal whatever remainders of food he could find. So I love the little wall of drawings of food that, you Mm know, like hamburgers and tacos and french fries and stuff. Yeah, I assume that that's a bigger part of the book. It, It is a major, major part of the book. And also he's got the... The shining wall where it's just mother, 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 and a broken heart. Oh, God, the broken heart is the most extra thing on earth. His wall of flash art. Yes. It's weird that he didn't like canonize his mother into being the matriarch of Atranta or anything. Mm-hmm. Like a, a patron saint or some shit. Yeah. I do actually, you know what? Shout out to whatever art designer did the, the, the drawings for that room for something that was only going to be panned over for a couple of seconds. It's really cool. They're, they're really evocative. They're kind of like old fashioned playing cards. Mm -hmm. Or like, like a Rider Waite tarot or something. Yeah. And it definitely feels like something that a teenage boy would draw. Mm -hmm. If, If that makes sense. Like the kind of sketches you see on a notebook. Not enough titties, but this is a PG TV movie, so he's he's a nice boy. That's true. That's true. It does have that kind of very sanitized "I am better than those horny jocks" kind of look. We'll get to the book. <laughs> oh God! Oh, also, Mrs. Schumacher's dead now. Oh yeah, uh, because Ronald crept out to get food, and she saw him and literally died of shock. It was amazing. She just does a Chevy Chase fall down the stairs and just. <laughs> And, and then he buries her. It's it's his M.O. You 
killing people by mistake and burying them in shallow graves. Like the shallow grave is honestly a much bigger indicator of guilt in all of these murders. He could have just left her there. His line about, I guess they're going to blame me for this now too, is, is so this interesting little snapshot into pathology that the movie kind of otherwise resists. I get blamed for these murders. Not, I murdered somebody. Not, I am participating in the, the cover-up of these murders. So now he basically sort of takes over Mrs. Schumacher's house, too. Because I guess her place isn't getting sold as fast. I, I guess, again, the timeline is, is fake and imagined. And it all comes to a head when he sneaks into the into Baz's room and puts up the picture of the princess that he's been working on and waits for her to come home at a time when she'll be alone because her parents are going up to the coast and her sisters both have after school activities. And this scene. (laughs) Y'all. Can we talk about Mrs. Schumacher's basement? I think maybe she needed to go. (laughs) Her her murder basement? (laughs) Her horrifying murder basement. Yeah. Obviously, she's got something going on, too. This is why she kept trying to meet him. Like knows like. She was hoping she could get a strong, strapping lad to assist. (laughs) Because there's another horror movie being shot in her basement. It's real Baby Jane meets Hannibal, you know? (laughs) Local murder bitty looks looks for protege. (laughs) Missed connections. But she's got these gruesome baby dolls just hanging by the neck in her basement like it's an abattoir (laughs) okay i assumed that we were meant to take from that that ronald had been over there building up his his wall of serial killer down there ever since he murdered her so that that babs can find when she runs into that house trying to get away but i like the idea that it's mrs schumacher's better (laughs) i don't know the whole town (laughs) Even if Ronald did the hanging, that still means she had those dolls. That's They're very scary dolls. My grandmother collected dolls. She had a whole house full of them. Spooky. Yeah, she died in like 1990. And some of them were willed to me. Just a whole box of Dar- creepy dolls. Darling, can I... Can I tell you just how grateful I am that you have not filled our house with those creepy dolls? Oh, God, no. No, I don't trust them. Yeah, th- this escape sequence is also where we get the majority of those those panty shots because, of course, we have put our young waifish heroine into a white tennis outfit because she's pure and innocent <laughs> and has that long blonde hair. And the costume designers, or the, the makeup artists are trying to do just the most... By having Ronald smear her with with old nasty paint while desperately trying not to get her costume dirty. Yeah, that that's the paint is like the one indication of time passing because he can't wash while the family's in the house, so he's just getting grubbier and grubbier. That shirt, I die. And Ronald has basically learned from his mother's mo here because he types up a letter claiming that she ran away, just like the letter that his mom provided the cops claiming that he ran away. So I question how much he is like since her death processed how she 
made the decision to imprison him for life. Since he's replicating that now. It, it is both sad in that there's there's this martyring element and also the inherent, he seems like he was an awful person, but also clearly there's some brain shit happening there. <laughs> some extreme trauma and dissociation is going on. <laughs> on top of the misogyny. If they'd given a better idea of how long he'd actually been in there, like maybe the isolation was getting to him and he's actually just retreating into his fantasy world, maybe this would have worked a little bit better. Yeah, I think so. If it wanted to go a sort of sad mold man Phantom of the Opera direction. It's it's not that, but in another world it could have been. Well, he did have that line earlier, No, Mother Trent is real! And I'm just thinking of that episode of Venture Brothers where Dean gets really, really high. <laughs> I mean, Venture Brothers is very consciously based on 1970s stuff, so... Shit. So having locked Babs in the in Mrs. Schumacher's murder basement, he comes back to, to murder the Chad who is getting in the way of his dominion over all these nice blonde women. And somehow at this point, all credibility of him being an accidental murderer is severely tested because he he not only knows to stay out of the way but he wraps the piece of ceramic he intends to to brain this guy with in a piece of cloth so that it won't shatter and make a noise it's like all right we've fully entered premeditation territory also how did you know to do that guy of questions it, it gets easier <laughs> of course that known logic Okay, but the fact and, and the fact that they have left that the reason this guy is home at Ronald's mercy is because he wanted to watch the football game is also the most 1970s. I love this little conversation they have where it's like, I'll go get some hamburgers for us. Well, why don't I go? No, no, you stay here so that you can get attacked by the murderer. The two of us will go. She is read ahead in the script, and he is not playing along. No, 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 they need us for the second act. <laughs> That's a- to call it a whole act is very generous of you. <laughs> because things- things come to a close very quickly at that point. There's like ten minutes left in the movie, which is where everything happens. I feel like we might have erroneously given people the impression that this is an exciting movie. I assure you it is not. <laughs> no, that's just- that's just how they convey the tedium of being trapped and waiting it's it's this whole movie is a shaggy dog story waiting to get to the scene so he has not despite what it might have looked like killed this guy he's kidnapped him and locked him in his bedroom for hogtied him so for some reason he has not killed this guy and then another of the daughters finally notices the peephole because he has failed to cover it so there's light coming through it and it's honestly a really good shot of, of her just like standing there and there being a little beam of light that she walks into i do enjoy how obliging the peepholes are whenever they're being used uh as a camera perspective in this movie they pan around quite nicely there's there's a nice little uh a camera dolly set into them <laughs> what before that Ronald broke something, and that was what alerted the girls, because they heard something smash. And they come creeping down the stairs in their little house in the prairie nightgowns, and one of them's wearing, like, a, a college t-shirt. 
And Althea looks on the wall and there's that beam of light. And it's just, and it's just, it is the most perfectly thing done thing in this movie. She turns and follows the beam of light and there's a hole in the wall. She puts her beautiful gray eye to it. And dun, dun, dun. There's an eye looking back. It's like a real horror movie with like attention and, and, and building and everything. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> and then the scene occurs. And then the scene occurs. You get the glorious teenage girl scream and Ronald bursts out of the wall like a nightmare. He just falls to the plasterboard, scrambles to his feet, stumbles out the front door where every cop in the country is waiting. <laughs> They're just there. <laughs> And they're chilling. They fall on him and drag him away while he's screaming, Mother, 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 because that was what was on the wall, remember? (laughs) He saw it coming. (laughs) And then the sisters are reunited. They found the other girl in the basement somehow. Uh, (laughs) Unhog tie the boyfriend. Everybody hugs, and it pans down to the sad picture of Ronald as the lonely prince. Roll credit. <laughs> and then it's just done. It's just over. End of movie. Somebody better call their parents. <laughs> I love the fact that the cops just materialize at the end, despite the fact that they had refused to look for this girl because they were fully prepared to believe that, nah, she just ran away. We'll look into it in a couple of days. Teenagers just run away, you know? Uh, the girl disappeared. They called the cops. They figured the- she'd run away. And then the boyfriend disappears. The girls call the cops again. They think something's going on. So the cops stake the place out. And it's like, you'll be okay as long as you stay in the house. The whole movie is basically that 15 minute opening from the call is coming from inside the house, which is not the whole movie, contrary to popular belief. (laughs) Except because it's, except that that one worked better because it's a short film, because that's all that idea can sustain. This is short. It is short. It's only 76 minutes long. But there's a lot in it. It's true. Well, apparently there's so much in it that they decided, you know what this needs? A Blu-ray release. Okay, but you have to tell us about the book. Is this book still in print? Where can I get it? What's wrong with it? Uh, Well, like I was saying earlier, Jack Vance is mostly a very, very prolific sci-fi fantasy writer. He's got like a whole Wikipedia page for his work alone. But he also has this smaller series that he mostly did under pseudonyms of thrillers and uh, mystery novels of which one was bad ronald and i think i think it's just recently gotten re-released because a lot of his stuff has fallen out of print i don't know if this is indicative of his usual style because it is it's a lot of the dialogue in the movie is actually from the book they they copied it pretty easily so it does sound kind of stilted that tracks what they left in the book, and I don't know if you're going to need a, a content warning at the start for this, but what they left out of the movie is a whole lot of rape. Ah. Uh, oh, yeah. He uh, he strangles the little girl in the course of assaulting her, runs home, lies to his mother about what happened. She hides him in the wall, and then he systematically kidnaps and rapes the Wood Sisters. All of them? All except for the eldest one. That's a change. Yeah, she's the final girl. Does Dwayne die in the book? Dwayne lives, yes. He's at the end. 
ha, that's an entirely different mood piece. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a there's a little bit more of a climax. He actually he Ellen, the oldest girl, and Dwayne realize that there's something going on. So they sprinkle flour across the kitchen floor one night. When they wake up, there's tracks. And they call the parents out of the house and say, hey, we think Ronald Wilby is hiding somewhere in the house. And they figure out he must be in the secret room. The mom grabs some kerosene, throws it in there, lights it up. Ronald bursts out of the wall in flames, runs across the yard, goes to the next door neighbor, the girl Laurie from the beginning, and leaps into her pool. And that's where the cops fish him out. Yes. Okay, honestly, that I am going to go and read this book is the problem. That's incredibly extra. <laughs> what the fuck? In this in the book version, both of the other girls um, are the two dead? youngest ones, Althea and Babs, are both dead. Fucked oh my up. Gosh. That's way darker. <laughs> I, I can like on the one hand, I can see why they changed some of those things for TV, A, partially because they obviously didn't have the budget to set this kid on fire in, like, a safe environment, and also we can only fuck I mean, up our set so much. it doesn't that much to... Okay, fair. <laughs> you're right. No, you're right. This is the 70s. We don't give a fuck. So, and then that's just it? This family is yeah, just left devastated? They're all alive? The bad things banished? I... I don't know. Where do you go from there? The, the end. It's fine. We have a second bathroom now. The, the ending is happy. <laughs> Elaine joins the Peace Corps. It's... I just can't get over the fact that this movie, of all things, has has a Blu-ray release. So, so, but in the book, so I take it it's sort it sort of floats between the perspectives of Ronald and the family? Uh, it really does. Uh, and Ronald is going through these like I said toward the beginning, he's having these primal fantasies about whether he's committed the, he has committed the forbidden act. He is now different from other men. Then it draws back and he's just this big lumbering schlub. How long does this go? How long is he in there? In the uh, his mom seems to be alive for several months before he's actually left alone. And then he's in there long enough for them to renovate the entire house around him. They managed to renovate the whole house without actually ever knocking down a wall that that attaches to his weird lair. <laughs> this this thin thing. They don't bother to go under the house and find out there's a second bathroom until they realize there are dead girls down there. Okay, that you know what? Thank you for bringing us this <laughs> gift. This is amazing. <laughs> we, sh- we should do this again sometime. Yeah. With something that doesn't look like it was shot through a screen door. Before we get into our little wrap-up, uh, you should tell folks where they can find you on the internet if you want them to find you. I am at the 5th Ganger. that's 5th Ganger, uh, on Twitter, and that's about it. I'm hiding from the rest of the internet due to the current circumstances. Yeah. Yes, but you, you sometimes you post excellent photos of Houdini. Yes, I do. Houdini is very good. Houdini is <laughs> the only thing that keeps me going most days. Thank you so much. For- mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. This was this was lovely. It was. I am glad we finally got to do this. And listeners, we hope that you had a good time too. Because I don't know why else are you here if not to discuss weird pulp trash from the 70s. 
If you liked this episode, you can always find more of our stuff by searching for us on SoundCloud or checking us out on patreon.com slash trashandtreasures, where for $5 a month, we have a monthly bonus episode for patrons, or for $2 a month, you can get access to Dorothy's excellent recipe book, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic recipes. Uh, You can email us at trashtreasurespod.gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media. We are uh, Trash and Treasures Pod at tumblr.tumblr.com or we are at TrashPod. Um, come say hi to us. Shout out this time around to at 144Bs for being a, a, a... Apparently a lot of people were big fans of Ripley as kids, which like, that tracks. Makes sense. That's the gay <laughs> you could find. It wasn't Ripley for me, but that's still a big mood. The, the big prestigious drama piece. That one. Until next time, take care of yourselves. See y'all. Bye.